0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. In 2008, China began to assemble banks of artillery around Beijing. 6,700 artillery guns and over 4,000 rocket launchers. Thousands of civilians, many of them peasant farmers without any military experience, were enlisted to man the guns. The government was concerned about the upcoming Beijing Olympics, not the security of the games, the weather. My name's Moxie, and this is your brain on facts. We've been relying on and contending with the rain since the dawn of time, but it's surprisingly recently that we really started to understand how rain comes to be. In the 1830s, meteorologist James Epsey put forward the theory that convection was the primary cause of rain. As heated updrafts rise into the sky, they cool and their moisture condenses, resulting in cloud formation and eventually precipitation. This then cutting-edge theory landed him a job with the U.S. Army as the nation's first meteorologist and almost immediately raised a question we're still trying to answer today. Can humans mimic or even manipulate this natural process? His approach, lighting huge fires along the Appalachian Mountains, To provide the heat smoke and particulate matter needed to trigger storms and bring rain under exactly favorable conditions of course espy pitched his idea to congress claiming that if these fires were set on a weekly basis he preferred sunday evenings the now regular rain would eliminate droughts heat waves and cold snaps prevent river flooding and keep the air clean and healthy by washing down noxious vapor I'm extrapolating from incomplete data here, but I would bet my heart-shaped butt that the word miasma was used in the presentation. Esthma theory, of course, being the pre-germ theory belief that bad air, mal-aria, caused and spread the disease. Espy's convection theory raised his reputation in scientific circles. The Rainmaker idea? Not as much. If anything... He was probably worse off for it professionally. Author Nathaniel Hawthorne thought Espy belonged in the Hall of Fantasy, a marketplace of wild ideas perfectly suited to fantasies of rain kings and climate engineers. Professor Espy was here with a tremendous storm in a gum-elastic bag. Ooh, better conjure up some rain to soothe that burn. Espy's work was not without precedent, at least in terms of its purpose. To bring the rain that humans need to sustain our crops, livestock, and ourselves. Yes, Native North Americans, of course. But we see ceremonies and rituals to call up favorable weather on the other five occupied continents as well. I'll risk making an ass of myself with an assumption that Antarctic penguins don't have rain ceremonies, since the coastal areas see a whopping six inches of precipitation a year, and inland even less. Get on it, penguins, pitter-patter. Lazy little Mater d' cosplayers. Rain has long been a central concern for societies in the more arid parts of Africa, so much so that the power to make rain is usually attributed to kings. In a number of African societies, kings who failed to produce the expected rain ran the risk of being blamed as scapegoats, and killed as punishment or sacrifice. Take, for instance, the Mojaji, or Rain Queen, of the Limpopo province of South Africa. The Rain Queen is believed to have special powers, including the ability to control clouds and rainfall. The succession to the position of Rain Queen is matrilineal, so male relatives are not entitled to inherit the throne. In Ethiopia and the Sahara to the north, rain dances are not uncommon, culturally speaking. In ancient China, Wu shamans performed sacrificial rain dance ceremonies in times of drought. The Wu shamans served as intermediaries to nature spirits believed to control the rainfall and flooding. The shamans had to carry out exhausting dances within a ring of fire until, sweating profusely, the falling drops of perspiration produced the desired rain. In Europe, the Slavic and Romanian rain-making ritual of Papa Ruta has survived into the 20th century. A young girl, dressed in a skirt of yellow leaves and flowered garlands to symbolize the nature goddess Odala dances through the streets while older women sing and pour water on her. But let's talk about Native Americans. Step one, remind ourselves that Native Americans We're not a single cohesive group any more than Europeans were at any point in history. Before Columbus came along and ruined everything, we're talking about anywhere between 7 and 18 million people, depending on whose estimate you prefer, spread out across this wide continent, speaking hundreds of different languages. If you thought about it for a moment, you could probably name enough tribes off the top of your head to illustrate this point. Go ahead. I'll wait. That's a lot, right? Rain dances are more common in areas where rain is not, naturally, so they're more likely to be found in the cultures of the plains in the southwest. This is best documented among the Osage and the Quapaw tribes of Missouri and Arkansas. You won't be surprised when I tell you that Native Americans have had to struggle to maintain their rain-making traditions. During the 1920s and 30s, Certain native tribal dances and rituals were banned by the U.S. government because they were considered to be backwards and dangerous to the modern world. Now, instead of painting with a broad brush and undoing what I was just talking about by trying to lump many diverse rituals into one description, let's look at the Zuni of New Mexico. Unlike most other rituals the Zuni perform, rain dances are performed by both men and women, this is unique to the Zuni as most native rain rituals are performed exclusively by men. And what's a ceremony without ceremonial garb? The men generally wear masks decorated with bright colors, a fringe of horsehair at the bottom, and three white feathers hanging from the top. Beads, fox skins, and body paint complete the look. The women usually wear their hair in a special wrap at the side of their head. They wear masks as well, but theirs are white and trimmed with goat hair. The women wear a black dress with no part of their body showing other than their bare feet, with a brightly colored shawl and a white shawl on top of that. Describing the choreography would require precision language that I lack. I encourage you to look it up on YouTube, but I'll leave you with the setup that men and women form separate lines. And participants move in a zigzagging pattern. The desire to control the weather is extant today. You've probably heard somewhere along the line about cloud seeding. No shame if, like me, you weren't 100% certain if that was a real thing people did or if it's something they did and it actually works. Cloud seeding is a weather modification technique that improves a cloud's ability to produce rain or snow. By artificially adding condensation nuclei to the atmosphere, providing a base for snowflakes or raindrops to form. Clouds are made up of tiny water droplets or ice crystals that form when water vapor in the atmosphere cools and condenses around some kind of particle, usually some kind of dust. Without those particles, known as condensation nuclei, raindrops and snowflakes can't form and participation will not occur. Today, silver iodide and dry ice are the most common chemicals used for seeding. The chemicals are introduced into the cloud by being dropped from an airplane or shot from a rocket. Liquid propane is sometimes also used, which turns into a gas at cold temperatures, freezing the surrounding air so that crystals form spontaneously out of the vapor. Cloud seeding was first discovered by accident in July of 1946. By scientist Vincent Schaefer, when he was experimenting at the General Electric Research Lab in New York. He was trying to produce a cloud in a chest freezer, as you do, but it just wasn't cold enough, so he tossed in some slabs of dry ice. To his surprise, he found that when he incidentally exhaled into the air of the freezer, it created snow crystals. By the by, You know how we've been really concerned about respiratory droplets for the past year and a half, and should still be? Well, you know how when you breathe out in the winter and you see a vape-like cloud? Those are respiratory droplets. That's what wearing a mask contains. Schaefer then worked with Bernard Vonnegut, older brother of author Kurt Vonnegut, to develop silver iodide, a compound that increases the size of water droplets. And large enough water droplets could be causened to rain or snow inside. As research moved forward, however, Schaefer and Vonnegut saw weather modification less about modifying weather and more about enhancing it, helping the weather to do what it was going to do anyway. Science is pretty split on the possibility of weather manipulation. And we won't even get into the ethical implications today. Weather modification is a pretty sci-fi-sounding concept, and it tends to inspire ideas and projects that sound like they fell off the loose pages of a deteriorating pulp paperback. Take, for example, hail cannons, which we'll get into more later. Proponents claim that the concussive force the noise of the cannon makes stops hailstorms by shattering the hail with shockwaves. They've been used throughout Europe since the early 20th century and are still in use in some areas today. Even though there's precious little evidence of hail cannons doing sweet fanny atoms about the hail. After the experiments at GE's lab, there was a feeling that humanity might finally be able to control one of the greatest variables of life on Earth. And as Cold War tensions heightened, weather control was looked at from a whole new angle the angle that it could be used as a weapon by the U.S. against the Soviets. Ah, the Cold War, that bad penny that just keeps turning up. How is it that I can't bring up dubious science without name-checking the Cold War? It only lasted for 44 years. That's a narrow slice of human history. Dr. Edward Teller, the father of the H-bomb, Testified in front of the Senate Military Preparedness Subcommittee that he was, quote, more confident of getting to the moon than changing the weather, but the latter is a possibility. In August 1953, the President's Advisory Committee on Weather Control was formed to determine the effectiveness of weather modification procedures and the extent to which the government should engage in such activities. Here are some of the highlights. Using colored pigments on the polar ice caps to melt them and unleash devastating floods. Ooh, a bit at that one. Releasing large quantities of dust into the stratosphere, creating precipitation on demand. Using a satellite to focus sunlight to scorch foreign cities. Boy, the writers from James Bond missed out on that one. And building a dam fitted with thousands of nuclear-powered pumps across the Bering Strait. This hypothetical Russian dam would redirect the waters of the Pacific Ocean, raising the temperature in cities like New York and London. This was ostensibly to relieve the severe cold of the Northern Hemisphere. But if you believe that, I have some swampland in Florida you might be interested in. We talked about that in episode 155 Hate to Burst Your Bubble. These weren't underground bunker secrets. Plans for military weather manipulation were openly discussed in the media during the mid 1950s, on both sides. In December of 1950, the Charleston Daily Mail ran an article quoting Dr. Irving Langmuir, who had worked with Schaefer for a time. Rainmaking or weather control can be as powerful a war weapon as the atom bomb, a Nobel Prize winning physicist said today. Dr. Irving Langmuir Pioneer in rainmaking, said the government should seize on the phenomenon of weather control as it did on atomic energy when Albert Einstein told the late President Roosevelt in 1939 of the potential power of an atom splitting weapon. In the amount of energy liberated, the effect of 30 milligrams of silver iodide under optimum conditions equals that of one atomic bomb, Langmuir said. In 1953, Captain Howard T. Orville was named Chairman of the Committee on Weather Control, and he could hardly seem to miss a chance to talk to newspapers and magazines about how the United States might take control of the literal skies. The May 28, 1954 cover of Collier's magazine showed a man quite literally changing the seasons with a system of levers and buttons. That cover is like 50% of the Google image results if you look for weather manipulation. From the cover story. A weather station in southeast Texas spots a threatening cloud formation moving towards Waco on its radar screen. The shape of the cloud indicates a tornado may be building. An urgent warning is sent to weather control headquarters. And less than an hour after the incipient tornado was first sighted, The storm was broken up there was no loss of life no property damage this hypothetical destruction of a tornado in its infancy could well become a reality within 40 years in this age of the h-bomb and supersonic flight it is quite possible that science will find ways to make weather almost to order the author of the story captain orville an Associated Press article from July of 54 by the science reporter of Minnesota's Brainerd Daily Dispatch sought to explain why weather control would offer a unique strategic advantage to the U.S. It may someday be possible to cause torrents of rain over Russia by seeding clouds moving toward the Soviet Union. Or it may be possible, if an opposite effect is desired, to cause destructive droughts which dry up food crops by overseeding those same clouds. And fortunately for the United States, Russia could do little to retaliate because most weather moves west to east. This Kyanus Mas Macho reminds me of a particular George Carlin quote that I can't include in a family show like this without it sounding like Morris Code from all the censor beeps.
1: I'm Jane Polez Kat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the
0: Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. A lot of private inventors hope to spit in the face of the thunder god by summoning storms at will. Introducing Wilhelm Reich, an Austrian psychoanalyst who claimed he could produce rain and cure any number of diseases by manipulating organ energy present in the atmosphere. His rainmaker was called a cloudbuster. It worked much like a lightning rod, focusing it on a location in the sky and grounding it in some material that was presumed to absorb orgon, such as a body of water. This would draw the organ energy out of the atmosphere, causing the formation of clouds and rain. Wright conducted dozens of experiments with the Cloudbuster, calling the research Cosmic Orgon Engineering. About that orgon energy. It's crap. bunk, Utter hokum. But it is bollocks with a little panache reich claimed that Oregon energy is omnipresent and accounts for such things as the color of the sky gravity galaxies the failure of most political revolutions and a satisfying sex life in living beings organ is called bioenergy or life energy reich believed that Oregon energy is demonstratable visually thermically electroscopically and by means of a Geiger counter. Reich also claimed to have discovered other entities like bions, alleged vesicles of organ energy which are neither living nor non-living, but a sort of transitional being. However, only true believers in organ energy, who go by the nominative organomists, have been able to prove in giant bunny ears the existence of organ or bions. Funny that. The Cloudbuster, one of Reich's two prized inventions, consists of an array of parallel hollow tubes connected at the rear to a series of flexible metal hoses, equal or smaller in diameter to the tubes. Alternatively, the rear of the tubes are joined together to a single large diameter pipe and flexible hose. The open end of these hoses are placed in water which Reich believed to be a natural organ absorber. The pipes can be aimed into areas of the sky to draw energy like a lightning rod. If you're ever sightseeing in the area of Wrangeley, Maine, you can see the remains of one of these cloudbusters. Reich's other baby, debuting in 1940, was a six-sided box constructed of alternating layers of organic material to attract energy and metallic material to radiate the energy toward the center of the box. It looked like an old-timey ice chest type fridge. It was meant to gather and retain orgon, kind of an ethereal oven to cure disease. Patients would sit inside the accumulator for hours on end and absorb orgon energy through their skin and lungs. The accumulator had a healthy effect on blood and body tissue by improving the flow of life energy and releasing energy blocks. If the pamphlet is to be believed. Organ treatments became fairly popular and the money came rolling in, both from treating patients and from selling the accumulators. But not everyone bought what Reich was selling. Two very negative articles, one titled The Strange Case of Wilhelm Reich, And the other, The New Cult of Sex and Anarchy, which is a great album title, got the attention of the Food and Drug Administration, who sent an agent to investigate. In 1954, the FDA issued an official complaint seeking an injunction against Reich, charging that he had violated the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act by delivering misbranded and adulterated devices in interstate commerce, And making false and misleading claims. The FDA called the accumulators a sham and Oregon Energy patently non-existent. A judge issued the injunction that ordered all accumulators rented or owned by Reich to be destroyed, and all labeling referring to Oregon Energy also removed. Reich did not appear in person at the court proceedings, choosing instead to defend himself through the mail. Even with the law glaring at him, Reich continued in the organ accumulator business, landing him in jail for two years for violating the injunction. The Food and Drug Administration not only declared there was no such thing as organ, they had some of Reich's books burned, not apparently realizing how such an aggressive act would only solidify belief in the minds of the believers. There have been no verified instances of a cloudbuster ever working and Reich is largely forgotten except for one interesting notable exception. Wilhelm Reich's cloudbuster was the inspiration for the Kate Bush song Cloudbusting in 1985. The song describes Reich's arrest and incarceration through the eyes of his son Peter, who would later write the memoir A Book of Dreams. A prop cloudbuster bearing only a superficial resemblance to the genuine article, was built for the video. And the video is where things really start to get cool. Bush intended for it to be more of a short film rather than a usual music video. The overall idea was a collaboration with famed mad genius and absurdist Terry Gilliam, and the video-slash-arthouse film was directed by Julian Doyle, the director of Time Bandits, Brazil, and three Monty Python movies. And the video starred Donald Sutherland as Reich, and Kate Bush played the son, Peter. Now, when it comes to Kate Bush, I'm more of a running-up-that-hill kind of gal, and even then, I actually prefer the cover by Placebo. If you've never heard it, absolutely check it out. Now, Reich wasn't the only pie-eyed optimist to build a cloudbuster. Some chemtrail conspiracy theorists have built their own cloudbusters filled with crystals and metal filings and whatever else they can get their hands on, pointed at the sky in an attempt to clear it of chemtrails. It's not at all hard to see how talk of weather manipulation would be like heroin to a conspiracy theorist. And this wouldn't be a bother if they kept it on 8chan, Parlor and the Alex Jones subreddit I can only assume exists. But... Some like to make themselves a problem for the folks who work at HAARP, the high-frequency active auroral research program in Alaska. HAARP uses radio transmitters and antennas to heat the ionosphere, the uppermost region of the atmosphere, to study things like how charged particles behave in the ionosphere, and they can produce an artificial aurora. That's worth the funding right there. They also... Revealed a lot of phone calls. Angry, profane, threatening phone calls. The world's most advanced ionospheric research facility has faced allegations of being a military death beam, a weapon for weather control, and even a mind control ray. My research this week included a video where a vice reporter listens to calls with one of the researchers And the ignorance is just excruciating. I'll link it in the show notes, but I'm not including a clip. It's very much like that line from Billy Madison. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having heard you. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. The reporter also visited with an author who made actual money writing multiple books about the nefarious stuff Harp is up to. And that's about when I hit the back button. Work-life balance, you know. Self-care. Thankfully, we don't have to turn our sights very far to find more goodness in the world. We need only look at the reviews for the show. Still no reviews for the book lately, though. If anybody's got a copy and they have it reviewed, I'd really appreciate it. But this review over on Podchaser.com Comes from Dustin, who said Moxie has a clear and enthusiastic voice that sucks you in to super interesting stories that she tells with panache. You will not regret giving her pod a listen. Thanks, Dustin. Checks in the mail. And of course, if you want to hear your opinion read on the show, all you need to do is leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app, your podcast player of choice, or at PodChaser.com. And if you're already online, why not join us in the Facebook group or the subreddit? You can reach them both through yourbrainonfacts.com slash social. And it's not just for sharing facts. I love when people share just get-to-know-you stuff or ask questions about the other group members. The groups would also be a great place to share which fact from the show you want to see turned into a t-shirt. Like Sean, who emailed us, and I'm sorry that I just now saw this, it was in my spam folder that he really likes how the Oneida silverware company began as a utopian sex cult. Or Michael, who wanted a t-shirt of a DeLorean with the caption, and then the cocaine happened, which I love the idea of. I'm just not sure it's emblematic of the show. I might make it just for shiggles. If you've looked at our Tee Public store, which you can reach through yourbrainonfacts.com merch, you'll see a lot of designs that just hit me in the spur of the moment, and now they exist. And of course, we cannot forget all the fabulous people who support the show, who are going to make it possible for me to finally hire an editor and get like a minimum of four hours back for my week every week. That's huge, you guys. That's really, really huge. So welcome to our newest members, George, Eleanor, Angela, and Drew. And a huge thanks in particular to David N., who increased his support beyond the regular tier. Supporters at Patreon.com/slash/YourBrainOnFacts not only get early, ad-free versions of the episode, but they also get the bonus mini episodes, including the one on human-chimpanzee hybrids from Russia, which I teased in last week's episode, Project Pigeon and Acoustic Kitty. And to my members, the episode you just voted on uh, will be in August because I don't know how to read a calendar, apparently. So. You'll also get to vote again in August. Look for two bespoke episodes. And if you want to support the show but you don't want to do so financially, no problem. The single best way to help a podcast is to tell people about it. Share social media posts or just tell your friends when you hear something interesting on the show. Did you see the posts for Mystery Monday yesterday? It's a little contest on the social media. Facebook and Instagram, Your Brain on Facts, Twitter, Brain on Facts Pod, where you try to guess what the topic is going to be based on three really unhelpful pictures that I put up to win some stickers. A clue number three was a toy set of the Weather Dominator from the G.I. Joe Revenge of Cobra miniseries. If you had told me when I watched that in 1980 that it was a case of art imitating life, I wouldn't have believed you. Well, honestly, I probably wouldn't have understood it because I was a child, but that's neither here nor there. Yep, we have weather machines in our war machine. Between 1949 and 1952, Operation Cumulus was an attempt by the British government to learn to control the weather via cloud seeding, primarily for future military advantage. However, on August 16th of 52. The town of Lynmouth saw a severe flood after 9 inches of rain fell in 24 hours. Infrastructure was badly damaged, and three dozen lives were lost. Although there was no evidence that Project Cumulus was to blame, it didn't look good, and the project was cancelled after that. Fast forward to Vietnam, March of 67 to July of 72, where the U.S. was doing... ...stuff. Things, Not good things, for the people or the environment. Agent Orange, of course, comes to mind. A horrific substance, a decent band. But just one color in a terrible rainbow of environmental destruction and birth defects. Lesser known, and luckily less effective, was Operation Popeye. The plan to extend the monsoon season. That's the rainy season brought on by prevailing winds and the word monsoon actually refers to the wind, not the rain. The targeted region was North Vietnam and Laos, specifically the area around the Ho Chi Minh Trail, an important artery for the North Vietnamese to move soldiers and supplies south. The idea was that cloud seeding would bring on extra rain to make the roads impassively muddy and cause landslides the 54th Weather Reconnaissance Squadron flew cloud-seeding missions using the slogan Make Mud, Not War. They had patches and everything. The aircraft were officially on weather reconnaissance missions, and the aircraft crews, as part of their normal duty, also did collect weather data. Former U.S. Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara was aware that there might be objections raised by the international scientific community, but in a memo to the president, he said that such objections had not been a basis to prevent military activities before, so long as they were considered to be in the interest of U.S. national security. This program was allegedly sponsored by Secretary of State Henry Kissinger and the CIA without the authorization of then Secretary of Defense Melvin Laird, who had categorically denied to Congress that a program for modification of the weather for use as a weapon even existed. The name Operation Popeye made it out into the public with a brief mention in the Pentagon Papers and an article in the New York Times. If you're worried that I'm going to have a near endless list of weather weapons, don't fret. The sun set on them officially in 1977 with the Environmental Modification Convention, formerly called the Convention on the Prohibition of Military and Other Hostile Use of Environmental Modification Techniques. Does not make for a good acronym. An international treaty prohibiting the military or other hostile use of environmental modification techniques that would have widespread, long-lasting, or severe effects. More forms of weather modification or geoengineering were banned in 2010 by the Convention on Biological Diversity. So, looks like we'll have to keep our meteorological meddling to ourselves. In 2005, Nissan installed 20-foot hail cannons at their plant in Mississippi after suffering damage in a devastating hailstorm, much to the annoyance of the people who live nearby. A hail cannon is a shockwave generator, which claims to disrupt the formation of hailstones in the atmosphere. The concept goes back farther than you'd expect, to the wine-growing regions of France, where church bells were traditionally rung in the face of oncoming storms, later to be replaced by rocket fire and cannons, the regular kind of cannon. These days, we use a mixture of oxygen and acetylene, just like in a welding torch, The resulting blast moving through the upper chamber and the cone develops into a shockwave. This shockwave then travels through the cloud formations above, creating a disturbance which the cannon's manufacturers claim disrupts the growth phase of hailstones. When activated, the system fires off gunshot-like sounds into the sky every six seconds. The manufacturers claim that Rather than damaging lumps of ice, the precipitation will fall as rain or slush. It is said to be critical that the machine is running during the approach of the storm in order to affect the developing hailstones, although all the manufacturers unanimously agree that the radius of the effective area is less than 500 meters. That's just under a third of a mile. Even if you busted up all the hail in that circle... Wouldn't more hail just blow in five minutes later? Farmers have also used hail cannons to prevent their crops from being pulverized. Other farmers, however, like those who live near a Volkswagen factory in Mexico, where hail cannons are supposed to protect the brand new cars rolling off the line, are less enthused. Those devices are being blamed for causing a drought during months when the farmers were expecting much-needed rain. While some may be convinced of the hail cannon's power, scientists have their doubts. A review by Dutch meteorologist Jan Waringa concluded that these technologies were, quote, a waste of money and effort, a sentiment echoed by the World Meteorological Organization. The only beneficial effect of firing explosive rockets and grenades at hail clouds may be the emotional satisfaction of the gunners who have fired at the enemy he wrote. Speaking of damaging weather that starts with an H, between 1962 and 1971, Project Storm Fury was undertaken by the U.S. to seed a hurricane's eye wall with silver iodide to weaken the storm. After what appeared to be some initial success with a noted drop in wind speed, it was determined the results were inconclusive. The project was expensive and, and dangerous, and therefore abandoned. In terms of current and future weather modification, several western states regularly practice cloud seeding to produce the additional rain they need. And in January 2011, it was reported that scientists in Abu Dhabi created over 50 artificial rainstorms between July and August of 2010. They used large ionizers to create fields of negatively charged particles which created clouds and rain out of what had otherwise been a clear blue sky these storms came with lightning hail and wind gusts as well bit of a mixed bag and that's where we run out of ideas at least for today the 2008 Summer Olympics were held in August the rainy season around Beijing where that month can see seven inches of rainfall The world's largest sporting event is a tightly scheduled affair that the whole world is watching. You can't afford rain delays. So China seeded clouds that were approaching the venues so they would do their raining before they got to the games. If you ask the government, it worked a treat. Scientists, however, disagree. Remember, you can always find the links for the source material as well as the script at yourbrainonfacts.com. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and stay safe.
1: Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others.